Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me as usual. Hey, what's up? We are recording live on Friday night. <laughs> How's it going, Darcy? Uh, I'm doing better now. I had a pretty rough week, but I'm doing better. I got some good news. Girl, you and me both. Um, but yours was slightly rougher than mine. Yeah, I had. Darcy, you want to share your good news? Yeah, so I passed my comps. So I am now woo, officially woo, woo. a PhD candidate. I am now working on the dissertation process. So, huge. yeah, major, major, major hurdle passed. Congrats, congrats. Thank you very much. She definitely deserves this, this drink this evening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. Hardcore. <laughs> and it was a rough road to get there. A rough, rough road. We're not going to get into details yeah. why. Um, Because that's kind of private, but it was a rough road to get there, and we're so happy she's finally gotten there. It's like one portion of this heavy, heavy load can be laid down for a moment so that she can take up the next portion, and that's very exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited. So Tonight's show. It's not going to be super long. As Darcy has had a very stressful and long (laughs) week, I don't want to overwhelm her with a lot of murdery shit. Oh, wait, a lot of murdery (laughs) stuff. Um, (laughs) God, sometimes I just want to curse. But we can't. We got to keep his family friendly in case somebody wants to have their kids listen to murder in the car. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> As you want to be a good parent and let your kids listen to murder in the car on the way to work. Right. Or daycare. No, or whatever. No judgment. Anyway. <laughs> no judgment on anybody that does that. Um, we've got some interesting stuff on the show today. I actually found this article, and I thought it was very interesting. And this came out this last week, and Danielle Zollner is the author, and... I don't know if you saw this, but it was pediatrician reveals he faked vaccination records for anti-vaxxer parents in a suicide note. Whoa. Did you see this? No. So an Illinois pediatrician who committed suicide left behind a note saying he faked records and lied about vaccinating children, according to reports. The note was written by Dr. Vaughn Coynes, I think is how you say his name. It's K-O-I-N-I-S. 58 okay. and detailed his regret for falsifying vaccination reports for young parents. According to the Chicago Tribune, he led a practice in Evergreen Park near Chicago and investigators believe he was known in the community for helping parents forge their children's vaccination documents for school. Oh my gosh. Because Illinois statute requires all students to provide proof of vaccination for preventable communicable diseases. Yeah. So he was well known for being someone who was into homeopathic medicine And from what the news sources have determined, it was well known that people opposed to vaccination would go to him to get these documents falsified. Yikes. He was later found with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his head in September. And it's just now come out that his suicide note reportedly expressed regret from the doctor about his decision to forge these vaccination documents and revealed that he had been committing this forgery for over 10 years. The doctor was a licensed practitioner in Illinois starting in about 1991, the state records revealed. And the length of time he mentioned and the fact that he was focused on this as a regret for something that he did and the fact that he committed suicide led everyone to believe that it was quite serious on many levels. Um, And essentially his suicide note basically talked about him forging the documents and nothing else. He was just incredibly regretful that he had done this. And it's not believed that he Mm. refused to vaccinate children with parents who wanted them to be done, but investigators encouraged families who visited the doctor to check that they received the proper immunizations with another physician. And this check can be done through blood work. 
But this investigation is obviously ongoing um, as this suspected conspiracy to falsify vaccination records is like now become this huge news item. Wow. And officials really, that's what they're saying, that he was just so torn up with regret for having done this. And that's what a suicide note said, said that that was that and nothing else. So it's interesting and it really leads to a whole host of questions because there are a number of people out there who are opposed to giving children vaccinations, but in order to protect the health and well-being of children that are out there in these school environments and things like that, it is required that children have to be vaccinated in order to go there. And to hear that this was a widespread thing in this particular area makes me think perhaps it has been an issue in other areas as well. And it's just something that we've never known about. That's so scary. Like, I wonder how many other places this happens. I've never even heard, like, I never even in a million would have considered that a physician would do that. Yeah. I mean, it's insane because I, I get it. Like there are, I think there's like what 70 something different vaccinations that they give kids nowadays. Oh, I don't know. It's kind of scary. And they don't really know the long-term impact of a lot of these vaccinations on young children. So I get it. It's a scary thing. And I get that some people are opposed to forcing their children at a young age to have all these, but at the same time, like homeschool your child if that's how you feel. Yeah, it's Don't a public health. Falsify documents so that people with health issues yeah. that think they're with children that have been vaccinated let their children who maybe have a compromised immune system go there thinking that everyone's been vaccinated and then they end up catching some weird disease and dying because they thought that the people that they were letting their child associate with had been vaccinated. So yeah, it's a tricky, tricky topic and one that people get very, very sensitive about. And I understand, but at the same time, letting people make informed decisions. If your child has not been vaccinated to not be around that child is something that you have to respect for another parent lying about it and exposing somebody to something because you falsify documents is a whole nother thing. And it's very, very scary. And I wonder if charges will be filed with regard to that. Right. It's, it's a public health concern to, to lie about vaccinations because there are people that for whatever reason are unable to receive vaccinations. And that's why one of the main reasons that we get them, that everybody gets them is so that we can protect the people that are unable to get them. And so if you are just, if you're refusing to do that and then lying about it, you're now putting other people in danger who are unable to make that choice. Yeah. You're making the choice for other people. Yeah. And then for the parents as well that think my child has been vaccinated, I'm fine to let them associate with whoever. And then their child hasn't been vaccinated or hasn't been given the proper vaccinations and only received part of it is another really, really scary thing. Like, what if he wasn't giving any of them the vaccinations that they asked for? That's so scary. Because he was opposed to it. Yeah. So you think your child is vaccinated against rubella and measles and whatever else. And it turns out he's just giving him sugar water. Like, that's horrifying. Yeah. So your child basically like steps on a rusty nail and dies because they haven't had a tetanus shot. I mean, this is some crazy stuff. It's it. That, that, I mean, that's a nightmare. Like that is so scary. I can't imagine being in that community and the, the, the level of danger that you now, like you, you, you know, nothing now like about your environment. You know what I mean? Like you can't Chicago. trust anything. Yeah. 
So it's like a heavily populated area. This is not like it's a rural backwoods sticks area in some mountainous region where like there's a population of 200. This right. is a heavy populated area right. where there are people coming in and out from all over the world that may potentially have been exposed to all sorts of things. Right. Wow. It's scary. Yeah. It really is scary because you never know. So anyway, um, that was an interesting topic that popped up for this and Let's go ahead and jump into the main case for today. And I heard this one. Let's see here. I, I saw. I heard. Well, I initially saw the episode on forensic files, and then I reheard it again because I subscribed to the podcast. I do too. And was just really, really interested in this. What was that? I said I subscribed too, but I haven't listened to it in forever. Oh, I just listen to it like constantly. Yeah. Like anytime a new one comes out, I'll like. I'll wait because I like to sort of binge listen yeah. to them because I've seen just about every single one of them on Forensic Files because I'm kind of addicted to that show. It's I so love the good. guy's voice I and do. I love the music and just everything yeah. about it. It's I'm behind so on all my podcasts. But I, yeah. Right? But I really, really like this one because it's a doggy Yay. case. I mean, it's a sad ending for the doggy in the case, but it's a doggy case. And ultimately, the dog like did some good stuff for his owner. So let's just jump right in. Again, I got this from Forensic Files. It's called the episode that we use. The episode that I used it from was called Chief of Evidence. And this is a little bit of an older case, but it was also a landmark case. And we'll kind of get into that in just a second. But 1996, the, and this is also a Seattle case. Oh. So, like, I also thought it was very interesting because I know exactly where this was. And I don't remember the case when it actually happened, but news media coverage back then was not what it is yeah. today. But in any case, 1996, Seattle police find a severely wounded dog who they determined had witnessed its owners get oh. murdered. They determined, okay, what they need to determine at that point is that the dog can help them identify the murderer. And if it can, how? So December 9th, 1996, it's the 90s in Seattle. You got Pearl Jam, Nirvana, the Seattle grunge scene is taking off. It's flannel and granola and big hair and everything else all combined in one. It's that time in American history and the Seattle history time. in general where that, that area was awesome. People loved being there. It was a great spot to be. 22-year-old Raquel Riviera is starting a new job. She is super excited because she's going to be a receptionist at a downtown office. It's her first like real like serious job. She's a little bit under the weather that morning, according to her family, but she was still excited to be starting a new position. And she actually shared a house in the South park area with a man by the name of Jay Johnson. Now, just to be clear here, this is not a super nice neighborhood. I actually lived in this neighborhood. They lived in South park. I lived there when I was a little kid and went to elementary school there prior to moving to Snohomish, but it's a little bit, newer or excuse me it's a little bit run down it's northeast or excuse me it's a little bit run down um, and it's surrounded by businesses and industrial areas mm -hmm. so it tends to be the kind of area where people go because they want to pay cheap rent and they don't want to have astronomical prices it's improved a little bit since then but it's still pretty much a very business oriented and industrial type of area but Jay and Raquel had been dating since high school and marriage was in the plans for their future. They were very devoted to one another. And in the morning on December 9th, 1996, a little after dawn, the neighbors hear gunshots Ooh. from Jay and, Ra and Raquel's place. Yeah, that's never a good sign. 
There are four to five shots and then a break and then six more shots. Oh my gosh. And immediately the people around this apartment start calling the police because obviously that's what you do when you hear gunshots, even if it's early in the morning. Police get there and they see that the door has been broken down and it's basically been ripped off the hinges. Jeez. There have been windows broken by bullet fire and two bodies are found inside. So it looks like probably at that point like a war zone. Yeah. Just very, very frightening. Not something you expect to see. Um, Raquel's family only lives a few blocks away and they quickly get to the scene and the police have cordoned everything off. And that's where they found the two bodies of Jay and Raquel. The couple had a dog named Chief. Now, Chief was a six-month-old Labrador mix. He he was also found on the scene. He had been shot. Twice. So the police get into the house and they poke their head around the corner and they see Chief there. And he's in pain and he's got blood all over and he's growling and there's blood smears against the wall. He's so scared. Yeah, he's probably just absolutely horrified. They get animal control in there to get him out so they can try to get him some medical treatment immediately. Mm -hmm. And they're smart enough to realize that he had probably witnessed this scene. He has been severely injured by a bullet through the front of his muzzle. Oh, my gosh. And one in his shoulder. So the one in his shoulder probably alone was not dangerous to the point where it would have killed him. But the one in his muzzle just did a lot of damage. And they immediately put this poor little guy into emergency surgery, and he ends up passing away. Oh. Just, just sad, sad, sad. And it made me kind of tear up a little bit yeah. when I heard it. Because especially after I heard out the rest of the story, but the autopsy revealed, as I said, that he'd been shot one near fa- non-fatal shot in the shoulder and the other through the muzzle. Homicide investigators could tell that the killer was searching for something because they had opened up a lot of drawers and cabinets and they'd tossed the bed over and just really made a huge mess of this house. Mr. Johnson had received multiple gunshots in the legs and this told police that perhaps somebody had tried to extract information from him, kind of gangster style. Yeah. You know, by sort of torturing him a little bit first. But other than that, the coroner described this whole thing as an execution-style killing of both the man and the woman that were found in the house, Raquel and Jay. And immediately the entire community starts searching for these killers because the couple had no known enemies. Everybody loved them. They were real young and kind of sweet and just a good couple. Like no known like criminal activity, nothing that would suggest that they were in sort of a risky lifestyle or anything like that. They were just two good kids Mm -hmm. who were looking forward to getting married and building their lives together. Um, the only two clues that they, the only clues that they found were smeared footprints by the front door and some nine millimeter gun shell casings. There was blood spatter on the walls, the floor, and inside the door as well. And the police immediately started canvassing the neighborhood. And they find this 15-year-old boy who had actually witnessed the shooting. Whoa. And you can imagine this poor kid was probably absolutely terrified, especially after he starts describing the shooters. They are described as very large Samoan males dressed all in black. Oh, my gosh. Wearing bandanas. And they had kicked in the door of this house so uh, i can't i would be just absolutely terrified and the thing is with that sort of a situation where you don't know where they are the police have not apprehended them and this poor kid probably is terrified they're going to come get him if he says anything right 
it's clear from the way the scene looks when the police get there that these two men had shot the dog and then moved into the house. So the dog had come at them immediately yeah. when they came in the door because he was a good boy. He was defending his house and his people and these people did not belong in his home. Right. And he went at them and they shot him mm. and he kind of limped off after they shot him in the shoulder and they the witness couldn't see anything else but he heard shots fired and then he saw these two men leave minutes later in a red camaro which a third samoan guy was driving now when the police start looking into this a little further and sort of getting the descriptions and everything they suspect that these three men were members of a gang which was popular in that area called the mad pack okay now, Seattle has a large Samoan community. They have a large Asian community mm-hmm. as well, but like in particular, they do have a large Samoan community. So the police really had a challenge ahead of them because they were going to have to wade through, you know, hundreds and hundreds of law-abiding Samoan people to try to find these potential killers. And they have to do it in a way that's sort of respectful to, for the, to that community as well because you don't want to suspect it just because this is a big Samoan dude that he's a criminal. Sure. Because everybody knows that that's ridiculous and not true. But anyway, the police start to investigate this and find that three days earlier in Seattle's Chinatown, there was a very similar shooting where the victim actually survived the attack. Now, if you ever have an opportunity to go to Seattle's Chinatown, go. It's such a cool place. There's so many good, delicious restaurants there. It Mm. is amazing. Such a cool place. Anyway, um, back then, it wasn't necessarily the safest area either, but this man named Johnny Pack had also seen the Red Camaro. That's the guy that got shot that survived the shooting. Okay. And he saw that there was a large Samoan male who had also been there too. And they found there were shell casings on this secondary scene. And they compare them to the site, the, to the bullets they found on Jay and Raquel's site. And they find that there's a match. So they know that whoever perpetuated the attack in Chinatown also killed Jay and Raquel. Hmm. And by now they're on the lookout for this red Camaro with some big Samoan dudes. And they're moving pretty quick on this, though, because the day after the murder, they noticed a red Camaro doing a slow drive-by of the murder scene, which oh. I guess, from what they say, that's not uncommon. Yeah. That in many instances in attacks like this, people will come back to the scene and sort of check things out. Yeah. And they grab this guy, and they hear that his name is Charles Nico, and he is also a well-known member of the Mad Pack. When they question him, though, he denies any involvement... And the, but however, the little teenage kid that had witnessed the scene actually recognized this guy as the driver of the vehicle and he's very distinctive. So they know that this is not just some random person that just happens to look kind of like it. It, It's distinctive and a red Camaro, like, come on. Right. That's such a 96 So police, (laughs) right. Police kind of squeeze in on this guy and threaten him with the death penalty, which was a very real thing back then in Washington state. It was like a very real possibility if you murdered somebody. But when they start to threaten him with this, Nico crumbles and spills the beans. I said, isn't that great? He spilled the beans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The motivation for this case was drugs. Evidently, the Mad Pack had heard that Jay and Raquel had a bunch of cocaine. Mm. And they were going to go get it. They were going to steal it from them. When they get there, though, the couple has no idea what they're talking about. And they're just like, we don't have any cocaine. And these guys are like, oh, no, they're just lying to us to hide it or whatever. So 
they shoot first and then ask questions later. Jeez. And evidently the shooters are, and forgive me if I mispronounce the hell out of this, but these guys have these Samoan names that are like super hard to pronounce, but Kenneth Leula Hala Lali. Okay. <laughs> like it's 25 letters. I, but yeah. he goes by Sa- Sabo Claus. That's his street. Okay. A little bit easier to pronounce. Yeah. Which not surprising. And then you have George Tuio Lofano. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he goes by Scooby. That's his street Scooby. name. Scooby. Okay. So I think we're going to call them Sable Claus and Scooby because okay. I can't pronounce those names. Forgive me if you are of Samoan ancestry. I apologize. They're just extremely hard for a white person to pronounce. <laughs> okay. So both men, both George and Kenneth, Sable Claus and Scooby are significant members of the Mad Pack gang, but they, de- they completely deny any involvement in this and they say they have alibis for both the Chinatown shooting and the shooting of Jay and Raquel. Not only that, but the smeared footprint from the front of the scene doesn't match either guy. Okay. But the police are like are questioning these guys and they look down and they see that there are some red stains, about eight or nine of them, on the right sleeve of Kenneth, a.k.a. Sableclaw's jacket. Okay. So uh-huh. they're like, oh, snap. That's got to be the blood from the crime scene. We've got this guy. And the police are, like, doing this search. They get a warrant. They search the apartment and can't find a gun for either man. But they do take the jacket from Kenneth and send it in for DNA testing. But, bad news, there's not a match to either Jay or Raquel. That blood does not belong to Jay or Raquel or the guy from Chinatown. Okay. So, essentially, the police at this point have absolutely no evidence to tie these suspects to the crime. And police and the family are starting to lose hope of ever gaining a conviction for these two guys, even though mm. they just have it, this feeling in their gut and the witness identified them. There's nothing else to tie them to the scene and they cannot go on that alone. Right. Um, in the meantime, Jay and Raquel are laid to rest in a Seattle cemetery. They are buried side by side and the family mm. is just incredibly sad. These were two such beautiful young people full of promise, but the police are like, hell no, we're not giving up yet. And they are checking and rechecking the crime scene just left and right to try to find if there's something that they missed the front time or the first time around. So when they are investigating this scene for Jay and Raquel's apartment, they see that there's dog blood as well as people blood there. And there's a lot there. Police were smart enough at the time, though, to follow the dog to the vet when they started to take it in for the first time. And they actually got a blood sample from Chief. Okay. Which, you know, sm- brilliant that they were able yeah. to do that because uh, that is going to turn up later to be a huge part of this case. But I'm so fascinated police, when law enforcement can, like, have that foresight. Right? Yeah. It's just incredible. So they pull that blood from Chief, you know, when he's getting his emergency procedures done. And they are starting to patch things together with the blood spatter, the shell casings, and the eyewitness account from the little boy across the street. Well, the teen across the street. I don't want to say little boy because he's right. a teenager. They think that first, the intruders kicked open the door. Second, they shot the dog in the shoulder. Third, they went to the bedroom and shot Raquel. Fourth, they took Jay to the room next to it, shot him in the legs to try to get the information from him. They go back, they shoot Raquel again because they don't think she's dead the first time around. In the meantime, Jay says he never has any cocaine and they kill him too. And even though he is shot in the shoulder, Chief, the goodest boy, 
tries again to fight off the attackers. Oh. So like he whimpers off after the first time, and then after they see he after he hears that they are hurting his people, he runs into the bedroom to attack oh. the killers again. Can you just imagine? Jeez. This is a six-month-old dog. He is basically a puppy, That's a and sweet he did boy. this. And they shot him again in the muzzle, and he didn't end up dying, but like it was enough to like get him off. Yeah. And there is no victim's blood on either one of the suspects, and this is huge. The police are extremely perplexed because typically when you have a gunshot like that, you're going to have blood on the people who are shooting, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in an instance where you have an execution-style shooting. Mm -hmm. But then they realized that Jay and Raquel had actually been shot from a little bit of a distance and that their clothing had helped to absorb some of the blood spatter. They had pajamas on. Okay. Whereas Chief did not have any of that and his blood sprayed and spattered on Kenneth from the muzzle shot. Because it was pretty close right. when they shot him in the muzzle. Because Chief had run at him to attack, and that's right. when they shot him in the muzzle. And so his blood spattered onto the sleeve, and they think that's what caused the mysterious red stains on Sable Claus's jacket. Police immediately bring in a specialist to analyze the DNA profile of the dog because dog DNA is the study of dog DNA in particular is so much like the study of people DNA. It's a different set of DNA markers, but the chemical properties and testing and everything is pretty much the same, which okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, I neither. Dog breeders and championship folks actually use these specialists to verify show lines and breeding of dogs. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Especially people that want to charge the high dollar for these exceptional championship show lines. They have to make sure that it's not just what they have end up happening is they'll just get some cheap little crappy dog to breed with a champion show line and then they'll sell pup, more puppies for cheaper. Right. Or for more puppies for more when they should be cheaper because they don't have 100% championship blood. Right. So they do these DNA tests to try to maintain the integrity of the bloodline and make sure people aren't getting ripped off in these dog breeding circles. Yeah. So, as I mentioned earlier, police believe that the blood on Sable Claus's sleeve was actually from Chief, the victim's dog. And when the tests come back, they show that it was animal blood and specifically blood from a dog, which they can narrow it down in that way. Uh -huh. um, and then they compare the blood to Chief's blood from the blood sample they'd taken earlier, and it is absolutely a perfect match. But... This is an interesting case because the prosecution knows that this is going to be a tough road because there have been no other cases in the U.S. where animal blood was used as evidence in a case or as proof. Hmm. No other cases in the country have a canine blood admitted as evidence in a court case. Right. So the defense team is like, ha, 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 this is a bunch of hocus pocus crap. We are confident that our clients are going to walk out. Bye. Yeah, because there's like <laughs> no legal never been, precedent, basically. Yeah, this has never been used before. This is a bunch of crap. Yeah. But, I mean, we know that's not true. So, the dog blood wasn't the only thing, though. Police also found non-human hairs on Kenneth's sleeve. And they compared it to Chief's hair and found the two hairs to be consistent. This was not as good as DNA evidence, but still very useful when you used it in combination with all of the factors in this case here. Right. The eyewitness account, the blood on the sleeve, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we've had conversations in the past about the use of hair and fiber analysis in cases like this. Mm -hmm. And there has been some debate in recent times whether these things are 
should be admissible in court, whether they're reliable, whether it's a good indicator that someone actually is the person who has the hair on the scene and all that. We're mm-hmm. not going to get into that here because that's for a whole nother time and a whole nother case. But in this particular instance, they did recognize that the hair in itself was sketchy, even though this was mm-hmm. in the 90s. They still recognized, hey, we can't use this on its own. We've got to have it in a combination with a bunch of other factors in order yeah. to determine guilt in this case. Yeah. So anyway, meanwhile... The eight-week trial kicks off, and this was a total crap show. It was a circus because Sable Claus went completely ballistic and had to be restrained for the whole trial. Whoa. He essentially taunted the judge, taunted the family, threw kisses at people, laughed, like, was very disruptive throughout the whole trial. They had to, like, basically, like, muzzle him and, like, handcuff him to a wheelchair for the whole trial. Right? He was just going ballistic prosecution believes that when the two men kicked open the door to Jay and Raquel's home, the dog attacked immediately. They shot it in the shoulder and it kind of cowered in the corner. Then when they asked for the drugs and threatened and shot the victims, chief once again, jumped up and got shot at that point, point blank, causing the blood splatter to fly Mm. out of that wound and land on Kenneth's sleeve. Mm -hmm. So chief, Bless his little heart, was the goodest boy. He was just, he defended his people to the very end. Yeah. And that is why dogs are the best and most loyal and most amazing creatures in the whole freaking planet. We don't deserve dogs. No, they're little angels. They're freaking angels. So DNA evidence linked the jacket to the dog and the murder scene. And this was like kind of, they knew this was an open and shut case by then when they combined all those factors, like alone, any of those things, the eyewitness, the hair sample, the blood sample, all that stuff alone, just if you took it all individually would not have meant a whole lot, but in combination, it was very convincing to the court And the judge at that point ruled that the dog DNA was the same as people DNA. As far as testing is concerned, the value was exactly the same as evidence. The science is indeed no different is what the judge said, which was a huge precedent in this case. There have been other cases since then, but essentially they set the case law right then and said, anytime you want to use this is, is okay. Right. And again, this was the first time that animal DNA was used as evidence in a criminal case in the United States. Kenneth Sableclaws takes a stand and says he was at a club a few days prior, and that's how he got blood on his jacket, because he was in a fist fight. Uh, with the dog? <laughs> Get this. <laughs> you, can, you, you know that it's BS. But they're like, basically, the, the prosecutor says, the guy hit you, the guy hit you with a dog? <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> really? So he threw a dog at you? Yeah. <laughs> But the jury deliberated for about 12 hours and found both men guilty and sentenced them both to life in prison. Mr. Wow. Sableclaws laughed as the verdict was read. Clearly, he had My a little gosh. bit of illness going on there. But it's funny because in the podcast, they say Chief was the one to get the last laugh. Oh. But he was the reason that the case was won. Sweet Chief. Jay and Raquel had initially bought their dog for protection, and he ultimately served his purpose and brought them justice. Oh. And sweet, sweet, sweet little, he was the goodest boy. The family now keeps dogs around them at all times. And it's just such a sad and tragic case because this couple basically died for no freaking reason. Yeah, they didn't have any drugs or anything. No drugs, no indication of any sort of connection to drugs or guns by Raquel or Jay. Mm. This case just, it's, it's incredibly sad. But at the same time, it was groundbreaking. And now scientists... 
are like a little bit more reputable when it comes to court cases and DAs, attorneys, prosecution, they all know that plants and animals and everything has DNA. Yep. And there are always going to be traces to help in cases like these. And this is an incredibly valuable source of evidence on their own. They may not seem like the best source, but combined with other factors that are usually present in 99% of these cases, this can be an extremely beneficial and useful tool. Rip, Mr. Chief. Yeah. We love you, buddy. And Good it was job, a lab buddy. mix, which made me think of you because yeah, you have a lab mix. Girl. And I was just like, oh. I doll ya. Yeah. Oh. Hug your dogs tonight. Yeah. Love I just, this has been a very rough week for me because I've had a couple of very close pepperonis pass away oh. in this last couple of days. And it's just been, remember, um, did I tell you that? Uh, I Maddie? saw, uh, yeah, I saw your post. They ended up having to put her down oh. a few days back. And it's just, she had diabetes yeah. and she was, I think, about 10. Yeah. Um, just turned 10. And she just, she had a rough time of it. She really had a lot of issues with incontinence and just health issues, lost a lot of weight. Oh. And just, it, it was bad. She got to the point where she wasn't eating and yeah. it's just very, very sad case. And it's just like, to me, losing an animal is the same feeling as losing a human. Like, it's very, just very, very sad. So it was a rough week for me. Yeah. It was a rough week for Darcy. And I think I need something like a, I need you to tell me a happy story about a dog. So I, that I do. Can feel I better. have. I have <laughs> a new favorite follow on Twitter and Instagram. I have nothing to do with this university, this affiliation, but Butler. University in Indianapolis. Their mascot is the Bulldogs. And last year... What's its handle? um, Well, I'm going to get there. So last year, they retired their mascot, Blue. Okay. And they have introduced a new mascot. And he's Blue, number four. Um, His Twitter and Instagram handle is at TheButlerBlue. And he's a little puppy English bulldog that is the cutest thing in the whole wide world. Like, I tweet regularly. Like, I send, like, messages, Instagram messages and Twitter messages. Like, I'm just copying, like, the tweets from his profile. And I'm like, I love him. Like, it's just all my messages say. Just, like, I love him. Like, there was a video they posted today of him. Like, he's learning a fist bump. It's just I can't handle I cannot handle how cute he is. So go fo- go follow at the Butler Blue and he'll make your whole world light up. Oh my god! How cute is he? His sister Pickles, Pickles! puppy hours. Pickles. <laughs> I saw that today. Oh they brought no. so he he does um he does like visiting hours at the butler bookstore and he's been doing it like since i guess that's they introduce him because he's so cute but today they brought his sister and her name is pickles <laughs> oh my god i can't handle like, it i'm not even kidding you like literally 90 percent of my feet is dogs uh-huh as <laughs> it should dogs. be <laughs> dogs and cats and llamas and goats yeah and just all sorts of sweet little animals yeah bless their little hearts so go follow the butler blue and he will just make your whole wide world he's the best he's so cute i love him Aww, sweet baby all right that makes me feel slightly yeah better, marginally better <laughs> 
Anyway, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap the episode up for the day, seeing as how we've both had a very long and stressful week and we're exhausted. <sighs> so tired. This is the point in the show where we wrap it up. So long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And we cannot emphasize that enough, folks. If you have a second, just go give us a rating. It's so awesome and it really helps us out. Or a review. Or you can shoot us an email. We're at thebfdpodcast at gmail.com. If you have something that you want to say to us, we missed a point or we need to, we were incorrect in saying something or, you know, we should do certain types of cases more, that sort of thing. We're more than happy to review those emails and comply if we can to improve Absolutely. our podcast. We're happy to do that for you guys. And what's our social media? Yeah, you can find us at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. And maybe we'll be sharing the Butler Blue <laughs> tweets now. <Right. laughs> um, <laughs> please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases and dogs, of course. In the meantime, ugh, why am I trying to complete blank? Sarah just Good night, podcast. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. Bye, guys.